We have something very special for you in this week's ATP podcast, something you don't get most weeks of the year. Hello, I'm Chris Bowers, and as the Rolex Shanghai Masters comes to an end, we're joined by some of the biggest names in the game, and arguably the biggest of them all. Stay tuned later for an exclusive in-depth interview with Roger Federer. But before we get to that, and indeed hear from the likes of Yannick Sinner, Grigor Dimitrov and Ben Shelton, we start with Poland. The Central European country was always going to make the news due to Sunday's Polish general election, but it's made news in the tennis world too, thanks to the victory of the latest Masters 1000 champion, Hubert Hurkacz. The 26-year-old Pole needed to go to a 10-8 final set tiebreak and save a championship point to beat Andre Rublev and claim his seventh career singles title, his second at elite Masters level. Ursin Kaderas spoke to Hubi directly after the final. Hubert, congratulations on your second Masters 1000 title in your career. Wow, what a battle. How tough was it physically but also emotionally? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's uh, it's been just like such a battle, especially, you know, emotionally. At the match point before Andre hit amazing serve, then Andre had some match points, then I had some match points, so we we're just, you know, going back and forth and it was just such a you know such a such a tricky match. I mean Andre was playing some some really great shots. I was you know I was trying to respond with some good ones as well, but uh, yeah, we just you know just one of those matches just we just gotta stay in it, believe it, uh, keep believing till till the end and uh, yeah, just just super happy how I, how I managed at the end. This tournament in the past has been won by some of the greatest of our sport, Djokovic, Federer, Murray. How cool is it to be part of that list now? No, it's, it's really cool. I mean, seeing Roger on the stands, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, he enjoyed the match a little bit as well. I mean, he has so much, you know, so much success winning here a couple of uh, couple of times. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, just uh, such a big tournament with so much tradition throughout the years. You know, the, the organization has been really amazing and, uh, yeah, just just huge event. Just really, really happy today. Congratulations, Hubert. Thank you. Hubert Hukac, who's certainly shaken things up in the race to Turin standings and who'll be looking to capitalise on a game which suits the indoor courts as he has a big serve and plenty of lethal volleys. When I spoke with him recently, I asked him how important the volley is in his quest to close out points and matches. Definitely it's important for my game, you know, as I can serve pretty big and, uh, you know, that helps to set up the, the another shot that I can, you know, follow to the net. So, you know, as long as uh, I'm really aggressive from the baseline, then I'm, you know, happy to, to, to come to the net as, as I can play some, some volleys as well. And, uh, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm going to be playing a lot of baseline rallies, but uh, if I'm able to, to be aggressive from the baseline and get some opportunities to come in, I want to use them as well. Do you enjoy serving and volleying? I mean, I haven't done much of it by like serving and volleying for singles, but uh, yeah, in doubles I do it a lot. I think it's, uh, you know, I like to come to the net and I'm comfortable from at the net uh, during the doubles matches. So, so I think that's, you know, that's, you know, we try to play the, the way that we have the, the best chance to win. When you chat to youngsters, do you encourage them to go to the net? Because today's tennis is basically forehands and backhands from the baseline. No, I mean, it depends, you know, everyone uh, has a different game style, so you gotta, you know, you gotta fit, uh, you know, find yourself on the court and do the things that, uh, you know, are the, are the best for, for your game style and see your game. When you were a kid, did you watch serve and volleyers or particular volleyers and think, oh yeah, that's somebody I'd like to emulate? 
Well, definitely now I watch Roger play, so so he's obviously amazing volleys and amazing skills at the net. So seeing him play was, uh, you know, definitely inspired me a lot. I mean, if you look back in the 90s, people like Rafter used to serve and volley on clay. Do you think there's a role for that these days, or do you think those days are, are over? Well, I think with the balls and the court speeds and how the people are returning, like it's 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 not easy to do that on clay court. What do you hope that youngsters can develop most when they play a volley? What's what's the most satisfying thing about developing your net game? Well, I think you know just you know reactions and then obviously a placement and you know how clean how you hit it and uh, hit it to the right spots of the courts. And do you get a really good feeling when you hit a crisp volley, especially one that goes for a winner? Oh, definitely. I think we all know that feeling after hitting a good volley, whatever level of tennis we play at. Hukac is now 11th in the live race to Turin, and more importantly, just a few hundred points away from automatic qualification with events in Tokyo, Basel and Paris to come. One man who won't be paying as much attention to the standings is the Shanghai runner-up Andre Rublev, whose qualification is all but a certainty. So when ATP Uncovered met with him recently, with the theme of excellence very much in the air, they put a very different line of questioning to him. So if you were to build your perfect player, it could be retired, current, or even it can be yourself. So let's start with forehand. I will go forehand of Nadal. The forehand of the line that was. Nadal looking sharper and sharper. The way he accelerated. When he accelerates full, it's so tough to do something. How about backhand? Djokovic. I don't know if he can do anything from the backhand. <laughs> it's off the charts. How about surf? Isner or Kyrgios or Apelka. All these three players <laughs> in one. It's massive. Absolutely massive. Just dropping the hammer here. Return. Mm, I would go. I would go with return. I would go with the Djokovic again. He find a way to break everyone. What a return! Another lightning quick return, just cracking off of the strings. Brilliant! What a way to seal it. Slice. Who was slicing? Slice. Slice. Evans. Or Matteo. What a point! Why? Because they know how to slice, and they only uh, they slice so good. Slice backhand winner from the back of the court. Why? They are not defending with a the slice. They know how to attack with a slice. Net game. Net game, Rogelio. Federer. Why Federer? Did you ever watch him playing? Yeah. So how you can ask them this question? Ridiculous. How about touch? Rogelio. Why? Because uh, he has amazing touch. <laughs> Coverage here. Federer all out aggression. Fabulous movement behind that shut down slice. It's an oil painting of a volley from Roger Federer. He just brushes inside the ball to get the check on it. Speed. Alcaraz or Davidovich? Why them? I don't know, they are so, so fast. Oh, no way! Outrageous!
contagious. And flexibility. Flexibility, Novak, probably. I don't know how his flexibility, but on court he looks very flexible. Beautiful reach at full stretch. Oh, how on earth has he made that? Mental toughness. Rafa. Why? Because he has the best mentality. Oh, that is sensational. It's very good tennis. How about competitiveness? Rafa. Why? Because the same as the previous question. Celebration, celebration. Mara Safin. <laughs> because he knows how to celebrate. Quite right, he should celebrate. Interesting choices there from Rublev. Some of them you could say were obvious, but his choice of servers featured the tallest guys on the circuit. And good to see him highlighting Matteo Berrettini and Dan Evans for using the slice as an aggressive weapon, not just a defensive one. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Grigor Dimitrov is having a good few months. While he narrowly missed out on a place in the Shanghai final, he did manage a significant win earlier in the week against the world number two, Carlos Alcaraz. After that victory, Usain Kaderas caught up with one of Dimitrov's coaches, Jamie Delgado, to ask what they focus on directly after a big match. Focus is obviously a debrief on the on the match played and, and the things that he did well. Um, I think that's probably the the main priority. And then and then you know from a tactical perspective, I, I personally take some notes as well of the opponents. And if it's to play him again, I'll I'll know what things work well and not so well for the next time they play. Um, and, and you know the, already the preparation starts for the for the next round. But but yeah, to go through the match and and and, and remind him of the things that he did well and, and encourage him to, to to stay on that path. So what did you just tell him? What did you pick out? I think it's the way that he, in, in the important moments, he stepped up and, and so it's that mentality really encouraging him to, to trust himself and, 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 and be proactive in those moments, which I think he did really well. And he's at his, at his best when he plays aggressive, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got all the shots um, and he's been using his slice as, as well to, to set up uh, you know, his best shots that then he can attack. Um, but yeah, I think most players tend to play better when they're proactive and, and looking to make it happen a little bit. And, and definitely as the year has gone on, he's, he's getting better and better and better at that. So, so it's good to watch. What were you laughing about? Was I laughing in the match? No, here. Oh, just now. Uh, what was I laughing? Oh, it, it was the tomahawks here. Because <laughs> in, uh, in the event here, we have 10 tomahawks a day. That is kind of a first come, first serve. And, uh, but we've just missed out, so everyone, everyone's booked it up, so we're going to have to wait for another day. No way, they're all gone. Yeah, they're all <laughs> gone, yeah. But we've had a couple this week as a team, so it's, they're tasty. Yeah. You shared them? Yeah, so we've had two tomahawks between three um, a couple of times, and yeah, it's great. Yes, you don't get that very often on the tour, such kind of a la carte food and, and looked after that well, so it's, no, it's been enjoyable. But yeah, he, he, and they were laughing because last time I ate it all, so they, they, they didn't get a bite. But, um, but yeah, no, it's good fun. And you, you're going to leave him now, or are you going to? 
so he'll do his treatment now. He's, he's had a little bit on the bike and a um, bit of stretching. He'll have to do an ice bath. He'll do his massage and, and we'll just make sure that he is hydrated well and, and gets enough food in him as well to, to start the recovery and, and have a practice day. His, his tennis seems to be picking up nicely and, and also the ranking. Uh, yes. How would you sum up these last few months and where he's at right now? I think it's just giving him a, a more of a clear picture of what his strengths are and, and reminding him. Um, I think in the last few years he maybe just veered away from that a little bit um, and trying to simplify it for him as well. He's, he's a guy who's got a lot of options on the court um, and sometimes that can be a, a problem if you, you're not quite sure how to use them. So just trying to focus on a few basic things for him and, um, and, and, and obviously he's got to compete really hard, which he has. Um, and I think with that his confidence is, is growing and he's starting to play better. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever wondered why he's so ripped? I mean, <laughs> how does he do it? <laughs> no, I mean, he worked well. I guess some of it's natural, I, I, I think. Uh, um, but he does really look after himself as well. He's really quite particular with, his, with what he eats and, um, and he works very hard in the gym. Uh, he, he loves it, he loves to look good and, and, and he does. <laughs> Jamie Delgado trying to explain why Grigor Dimitrov looks so ripped. It's probably a result of avoiding so many of those tomahawk steaks, the ones that Jamie himself ate, perhaps. Dimitrov has won at least two matches in nine of the last ten tournaments he's competed in. That's how consistent he's been. And he's been a semi-finalist in Geneva, Washington, Chengdu and this past week in Shanghai. So what's the most important element in his success, apart from the tomahawk steaks? A question Jill Krabas put to the man himself. <laughs> rest, honestly, just rest. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always very active overall. Like, I like to, um, you know, I just uh, I like to go to the gym even when I have days off. But uh, I'm just a little bit more subtle. Like, I just try to go, just do a few exercises. Like, keep, keep the body fresh. That's all I'm trying to do, to be honest. Uh, staying away from tennis is, I think, one of the, one of the important things, though. You need to kind of give, give a break a little bit of the arm. Since I'm one-hander, I need to look after it a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, I've been focusing a lot on just like a good rehab, um, you know, going to the beach and, you know, doing a lot of like massage, like a lot of stretches and, you know, trying to trying to basically keep the body up to speed in a way, but also not, not get not get too soft in the same time. So um, uh, but at the same time, I like that process a lot. I, I want to touch on, um, you know, the team and the support group around you. You added Jamie Delgado to your team. How how important is it to have maybe a new fresh voice and what has he brought to the equation? I mean, over the course of my career, I've had quite a few, I think quite a few coaches that uh, helped me on so many different levels, I think in my, in my career now. I, I feel like I have a lot of experience. I've, I've learned a lot from all those, um, all those moments. And, uh, you know, Jamie, for me, like we didn't really know that each other that well, which was the, I think the interesting, the interesting part, but we kind of, we kind of clicked. I mean, we've known each other for many years, but not not so much on a personal level. And now, we spend more time together. We we spend time on the court. We we see things um, quite a bit of the same. Uh, you know, he questions me when I need to be questioned, and um, also it's very very good because they also complement uh, each other very good with uh, Daniel Valverde. And I think everyone is on the same page, which may, which makes things way way easier for everybody. And you know, now I'm in a point in my career where I need to, uh, as I said, keep things fresh, have a, have a, you know, have a di different voice, have a different uh, way of approaching things. A lot of things that I've done, they've worked in a very, in a, in a, in a various ways. Um, but yeah, I, I need to, um, 
I need to give it all. So it's interesting because they're both two very experienced coaches. So what do they each bring individually? It's, um, you know, they have so many like different things. That, that they're, so, they're so different so many different ways, but uh, in the same time, they, they have a very, um, a very similar way of uh, looking at the game. And uh, that's why for me, it's very, it's more on a personal level. I'll say that they're more different than on, than on the court. But I think, uh, you know, like, I think the one thing that I've, I've always been very, very mindful of is the way someone challenges me. And I think, I think this, is, this is something that, uh, that I think at times Jamie does uh, without him even knowing. Uh, when he asks me the question, when he states some, some fact on the court or when he sees certain parts of my game. Um, so I think that's, that's the, I think that's the biggest difference to Danny. Whereas you have Danny, he's more, you know, more black and white and says things as they are, which is also very, you know, very helpful to me and I'm very appreciative of that as well. Um, but yeah, they have a very, very, very good, like cool approach from both. Yeah, that's great. It seems like that's a great perspective yeah. to have um, as part of your team. And I, I want to talk about, you mentioned like having the experience. I want to talk about your experience being out here for so many years. Um, is that something that you're able to tap into like in those challenging moments? Do you feel like that helps you and get through tough moments? Maybe as of late, I would say the past, maybe the past couple of years more so than any other. I mean, I think that the past three, four years have been very challenging on so many different levels for me. So I didn't really have much time to think about that, to to kind of reflect on my career thus so far or to uh, or to tap into that source. But, you know, lately I, I've been able to, to kind of, um, you know, settle down, I think, a little bit more in my own skin. And um, also the team, the team had helped me a lot to, to really understand and realize certain things that I, that, that may have been um, difficult for me to see and they put things a little bit more in perspective and that also gave me the, the chance the opportunity to tap into that to start thinking on that on that perspective to be like oh okay well listen I've done that so many more times than other players like why not and I think now that's that's the, that's also where I'm at right now why not get better is that because my next question was it what consistently drives you is that part of it it sounds like it. Yeah. Yes, and I mean yes and no. In the same time, I think I, I, I've, I've achieved a lot of dif different things in my life and in my career, and I think every everything that I do right now really like purely just comes from me. You know, I'm I'm not trying to to reinvent something or to try something extremely crazy that's never been done before. No, it's totally the opposite. I'm trying to be just very good at the basics because you know sometimes basic is genius. So. In the same time, if I'm able to do that and use my experience and be more consistent, I mean, everything else kind of, it's inevitable, it will come. So I just want to, you know, stay calm and I'm comfortable with, with the way that I'm doing things right now. I feel like everyone is in sort of in a good path, in a good way of dealing with things and that adds up and you have good results. Sometimes basic is genius. What great perspective from Grigor Dimitrov, who'll be up to around 14th in the race to Turin after Shanghai. And going to the beach is a form of rehab, eh? I can see that catching on. Another player on a good path is the 21-year-old American Ben Shelton, who went deep at both the Australian Open and US Open and fell at the quarterfinal stage in Shanghai. ATP Uncovered set out to answer the question, 
Who is Ben Shelton? Who am I? Oh, come on. <laughs> I am Ben Shelton, and I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, I'm not ready yet. Ben Shelton, take one. Get, get ready. Let's go. <laughs> Sit back and enjoy the show. Uh, I think my first tennis memory is um, being a really young kid and, and my parents started me out with a, a children's racket and a balloon uh, to, to practice tennis for the first time. I didn't love tennis at the start. Um, I wanted no part of it. I just wanted to play other sports, but I got back into it. I think the moment I realized I could be a professional tennis player is uh, maybe the first professional match I won um, in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, I remember being surprised that I was able to hang with a uh, Top 400 player, um, first time I played someone who, you know, had a high pro ranking and, and I'd always put professional tennis players on this pedestal. Um, so to be able to compete with them and, and, and even beat one of them was really surprising for me. I got it. My biggest weapon is my serve. On court, I am loud, aggressive, and I try to be entertaining. Oh my goodness! He could not have thrown any more at the point. It's just uh, my personality. Um, I think that there's a few sides of, of the way that I that that I act on court that come from playing college tennis. Um, and so I think it's a combination of the two. Uh, I am pretty boring when I'm off the court. Uh, I don't like to talk too much. I kind of just keep my mouth shut. Um, like to stay in my hotel room and be by myself. I think my friends would describe me as uh, someone who likes to make jokes, um, keep things lighthearted. Um, I like having fun. Uh, and and just just hanging out and, and being with people is is what I enjoy the most. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, uh, it was really important to me that I uh, played as many weeks as I could just to try to get my feet wet, um, know which places I like or don't like to play, um, what conditions I like, and just kind of get used to everything that comes with being out here on the tour. And I think that so far I've had a pretty good year in terms of that. I think the biggest highlight for me this year was playing in the Australian Open uh, for the first time and uh, having to play an Australian guy in front of a, a big crowd that was against me and you know handling my nerves well, uh, multiple matches in a row, being able to go five sets, last five sets, which I hadn't done before in my career. Uh, and I kind of proved to myself that you know I was fit enough to compete in Grand Slams and and uh, mentally tough enough to uh, compete in, in front of big crowds. So I think that was something that I gained a lot of confidence from this year. Showing that he's uh, a showman as well.
What a show. In the future, I am looking to win an ATP title. I'd like to make some more friends out on tour. It's definitely a big goal for me to try to qualify for the next gen finals. Uh, I think it's a really cool event for our tour, being able to see some of the young up and coming talent, to be able to give some of these guys a spotlight for a week and, and be able to see some of the things that they do. I think it's a really cool event and uh, I'd love to be a part of it. So hopefully I can end up qualifying. Yeah, if I'm looking ahead five years, uh, you know, I'd love to still be healthy, <laughs> still playing out here on, on tour, uh, not have any physical uh, injuries and still have a love for the game, uh, still be looking forward to compete each and every week and, and I'd love to see myself in, in the top 10 or, or top 5. I think that you know my goals always change with how well I do at, at any certain moment but uh, I don't want to put any ceiling on myself but I definitely have some things that I'm shooting for. Ben Shelton who I suspect will be well inside the top 10 at some stage in the next five years. Another player who started by hitting a balloon. We're all champions with a balloon. Shelton's already guaranteed a place at this year's next-gen finals in Jeddah, but he'll be looking to keep the momentum going to maintain his outside chance of making Turin. And speaking of Turin and the Nito ATP finals, this week Italy's Yannick Sinner also managed to confirm his place. Ursin Caderas asked Sinner whether, as a kid, he could ever have envisaged playing in the year-end finals at home in Italy. Uh, honestly, no, because it's... Um... It's just incredible. It's tough to, to, to think about this when you're young. It's obviously a, a dream come true for sure. Um, two years ago, I had the chance to, to play there a couple of matches, but because of Matteo hurting himself and it was a tough moment for, for, for him, um, I just tried to, to play somehow the best tennis I had in that moment, but still it's, it's, it is a little bit different feeling when you make it in the, in the official eight and I'm very happy about this achievement. So I'm very, very looking forward to it. When did you first watch the ATP finals on TV and, and who was playing in those finals? Uh, I, I started to watch them when they played in, in, in London. I don't really remember the matches, to be honest, but uh, it was not that long ago, to be honest, because when I was younger, I was not watching so much tennis. Um, I was watching more skiing and all this stuff, but I guess it was, you know, uh, the famous four, you know, uh, Rafa, Roger, Novak and then Andy. Um, I also watched uh, the final between was Grigor against Goffin? Sasha won. Um, Stefanos won. I mean, I've I've watched this. This is a very exciting um, tournament. It's in the end of the end of the year, so everything can happen there. But still, it's uh, uh, an awesome event. And don't forget, Yannick Zinner has won the ATP Next Gen event on Italian soil. That was in Milan in 2019. Congratulations to him for qualifying for the full event and so too to the doubles pair of Rohan Bopana and Matt Ebden, who became the third doubles team to qualify for the year-end finals after Ivan Dodik and Austin Krychek and Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skubsky. The NITO ATP finals will take place at the Pala Alpitour Arena in Turin from the 12th to the 19th of November. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast.
One man very familiar with the year-end finals, having won it a record six times, is the Swiss legend Roger Federer, who's very popular in Asia and is no doubt more so having been in Shanghai this week. Federer was there to receive an Icon Athlete Award in a ceremony that also featured China's WTA legend Li Na and the current number one Chinese player in the Pepperstone ATP rankings, Zhizhen Zhang. Federer claimed the Shanghai title twice and has fond memories of playing at the Chinese Masters 1000 event in front of unwavering fan support. Yeah, and a patient, you know, so they can wait for you anywhere at the club, at the hotel, in the in the basement of the hotel. I mean, they're everywhere. So, uh, and they don't mind waiting. I will never forget uh, when I was here the very first few times for the um, for the World Tour finals, and uh, I was tired. Night session matches. I would not come out of the hotel until 4 p.m. And Mirka would go out and grab coffee. And she would told them, no, no, Roger's not going to be here until 4 p.m., you know, so you can don't have to wait in front of the hotel. And they're like, no, 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 he's never here. He's only here once a year. We're happy to wait. And they would wait and wait. So I think, uh, I mean, the following here was pretty, I mean, cult-like, you know, and uh, it's very intense. And I will never forget when I lost first round, everybody was super sad, you know, from my, my team, my fans, the tournament, also everybody was like, oh, what a pity, you know, you came here all this way and lose first round. I went straight to the airport, went back, tried to get obviously uh, ready for, I think, Basel, uh, I believe it was that year as well. And there, there must have been like 100 people at the airport all waiting for me singing a song like, we hope to see you next year, we hope to see you again, and like tears in their eyes. And I'm like, oh my God, you know. So I think there's been a really special connection with um, the Chinese fans over here. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why I'm back this year again, is just to see them all after some tough years here with COVID and everything. Is it maybe also because you've played some unbelievable tennis here in Shanghai? I mean, definitely. I mean, obviously being highly ranked and uh, playing a lot of center court matches, um, coming here for many years has created this, uh, this vibe, I believe, between myself and, and the fans here in Shanghai. Um, also, when I played an exhibition match once in Hangzhou uh, with uh, Zverev, um, everybody traveled from here from Shanghai over to Hangzhou to come see me again there. I had also so many. So I believe it's just because it's been long-lasting. I've taken a lot of time uh, for them, to be honest, uh, always signing tons of autographs, taking pictures with them. And then also the tournament has helped me to connect with them by creating fan days and fan events. And I think they really felt that it, I mean, it was different and special. Uh, here. So um, it's been a lot of fun and cool. And also in terms of your performance here, I mean, this was um, one of your best tournaments. Um, it has been, yeah. In terms of the records, you beat Rafa here three times, never lost to him here. Okay. You beat Novak here twice, never lost to him here. I mean, that's not a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't know those records. I, I've checked out of uh, what I have done and not done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't go through my life like this no more. But uh, I, I mean, I do feel like I've always played very well here. I, I had a couple of, um, you know, wobbles, you know, along the way, which I guess is normal. But uh, for the most part, I've always played very well here in uh, Shanghai. I also made it always a priority in my schedule. I rarely played the week before. I never played the Beijing week. So I always came here with a great preparation and making it a priority. And I think when you prioritize a week in the year, um, it helps you with your, uh, with the success rate, you know, and uh, and I think also it was a little bit of a faster event, uh, potentially, you know, a little medium, medium fast. I mean, it was not always every year the same. Um, and then, of course, it was the indoors as well, indoor element at the World Tour Finals. And indoors, I was always very strong. So it's been great winning, I think, four 
uh, Rolex Shanghai Masters and also two World Tour Finals. It's been cool. Do you miss playing Rafa on tour? I haven't thought about it, to be honest, if I miss playing Rafa. Um, not really, you know. Uh, maybe more so happy not to play. Uh, just glad I'm not in that, uh, uh, in that tough match, you know, where you stare down, I don't know, a, a center court match with one of the greats. Um, it's nerve-wracking, you know, and uh, I had it so often that it's good not to have it anymore, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, it's funny with you and Rafa, you always got the giggles when he, when he had to do things mm. when, he, when he recorded Was them. it like rooms like these usually, you know? Yeah. Why was that? Why did you always like crack up? It was his accent and his look and his eyebrow and uh, yeah, and his personality, you know? He comes in and it's all stressed and he's like, okay, what are we doing? And then already I'm like, okay, it's, this is going to be fun. He has no clue what, what's going to happen, but he's just going to wing it. So uh, yeah, yeah, we had some good moments. <laughs> when it comes to that sort of stuff, were you the complete opposite in a way? Uh, I don't know if we are so opposite, you know, um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess to some extent I'm maybe more calm, more relaxed, you know, whereas he goes, especially, I think, through the, the tennis days in a more intense way when he's on site. Then I don't know rough enough off site or all the other players, but I feel I am very relaxed on and off site. And um, he has incredible intensity whenever I saw him. You know, at the courts, you know, he's always warming up. He's always, um, you know, like a tiger in the cage. He's going around and there's always stuff to do for him and he's preparing. And you can feel like there's always a match on his mind, you know. And um, I'm sure that then when it's all over, uh, every player finds a way to, to unwind. Because if you don't, I mean, you can't exist on the tour, you know, for, for as long as it lasts. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough tour and you've got to find ways to, to relax. And, um, and uh, we the players find ways to do that. I mean, I heard he also went to practice like super early in the morning and stuff like that. Did, did you? Yeah, I didn't ever really did that. He definitely did uh, things a bit differently to me. Yeah. And I'm still very curious to, to find out uh, maybe one day when we're old uh, to speak to all my rivals and say, like, how did you do that? You know, what, how did you train in the fitness room? Um, what worked for you? What didn't? Uh, it would be a nice little uh, get together once and have a nice chat like this with, you know, everybody I've played so many times. So you've been retired for a year now. Um, so has retirement been just what you imagined it to be or, or something completely different? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm not sure what I thought it was going to be. I just, I think I was uh, open to the idea to see, let's find out. I didn't have any plans per se because I was you know, trying to always come back. And all of a sudden I realized that's it. And then I'm like, okay, well, it's over and what now? And so I think uh, now since six months, I, I feel like I'm more in charge of my schedule, whereas before I was still just, um, how do you say, it was more the afterburn of having just retired. Um, so it's been, it's been good, honestly. Um, I have to be careful I don't do too many things, you know, but at the same time, I'm really happy to be, be busy and I like being with other people, love being with my family, I love to travel. But, you know, I guess sometimes I just got to make sure I find the right balance and I feel like I have that. So... Uh, Things are great. Yeah, I mean, you seem to do well. Um, many athletes, when they retire, they gain a bit of weight and all that. <laughs> they let themselves go. Yeah, like me, you no, know. No, <laughs> like you look fine. <laughs> well, I don't know. I am trying to go to the gym four times uh, a week, which I can't believe I'm actually doing. So because, yeah, like I, I rented a space like this at home um, and put some machines in, and I got it literally the week after the Labour Cup in London. So it was like after my career, I finally had a gym. 
a little bit weird, you know, to have it uh, once I was retired. So then I, now I have to use it. So I do that well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, you know, maybe uh, play so much tennis anymore. So I have to be a little bit more careful what I eat and stuff. And um, I still like to play some exos down the road. So I want to stay in shape, you know, and try to look good a little bit. Do you go for those crazy bicep exercises to like what? get to Rafa's level? No, no, no. He can, he can have the biceps. I don't need that one. <laughs> I'll never be there. What uh, do you do then? Like, do you, do you lift? Everything. No, I just do everything. Um, I mean, cardio, um, what do you call it? Um, I mean, some weight training and then, you know, more like core exercises, a lot of that. It's just also good for the back, you know, once you... Uh, you have to be careful when you, I think when you move less, the body hurts more. So I think moving a bit is, is always good. So it makes me feel better for sure. Was staying away from competitive tennis maybe easier than you thought? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think also uh, when you know that the knee doesn't allow you to play at this level, you're, your mind doesn't even go there that I could be on court right now. Yeah. You know, so you're just enjoying tennis for what it is. And um, I follow results almost daily. Um, I like to see what's going on out there. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's not even a thought, you know. Um, I had a great time when I dive back in, like coming here to Shanghai. It feels, I feel really happy when I'm not there. I'm really happy where I am. So I go with the flow and I like that no day is ever the same. So it's, it's great. So how does Roger Federer watch tennis? Do you have apps or do you sit in front of like yeah, mostly highlights, you know, uh, sometimes when I'm a bit more intrigued, uh, I maybe go on YouTube and check maybe sort of a four or five minute highlight, uh, you know, uh, reel to get a bit of a feel for the match a bit more. It's hard for me to sit through matches um, just because I just don't have the time, to be honest, with, uh, with the children and all the stuff that's going on in my life. And it's hard to say, like, OK, on that day, I will watch that match. I mean, you don't know which match it's going to be. So... Um, like the Wimbledon final, I only literally saw a couple of, a couple of games, you know, uh, in that day because we were running around with the kids and doing stuff. And I don't know, then at one point, like, I quickly checked in just to say, like, okay, I saw the Wimbledon finals a little bit, you know, and I, of course I was curious. I was checking the scores from time to time, but for me to sit down was just, was just hard. But I was happy that the match was as great as it was, you know, of course. And I love when uh, great stories come out of the game, of course, and what Novak and Carlos have done again this year has been incredible. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about tennis stories over the last few years, what do you make of Alcaraz's story? Great. I mean, look, he's still young, and uh, everything that he's achieved uh, is, is fantastic, and also not just on clay or just on hard, you know, but also now winning Wimbledon against Novak in the finals. That is, that is no joke. I mean, he didn't need to really prove that point, but that's an, another super asterisk in his, in his CV. So uh, mighty impressive. I mean, of course, with, you know, Rafa, uh, Novak, myself, Murray, we all expect now uh, every generation to produce best tennis every single week for some reason, you know. But uh, it's hard to do that, and I think Carlos could have—he's uh, done as well as he possibly could so far. And and uh, he's going to lose from time to time, you know, like here in Shanghai. But uh, he's uh, he's doing fantastic, and uh, yeah, he's, he's got he's got a great game, and obviously an unbelievable future ahead of him. Would you agree that Alcaraz has a bit of you, a bit of Rafa, a bit of Novak? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I see, I mean, a bit of the power, obviously, on the forehand side, Rafa's style a little bit, you know, maybe also mine, you know, like you say, more the technique maybe from me, potentially. Obviously, you see the drop shot, you see he's using slice, he can play from back, like uh, 
uh, Rafa can, and then he's got obviously some defensive skills, you know, that um, you know rival Novaks, but Novaks obviously in at an elite level because you know when you do it for so many years, I mean, you stand alone basically, like Rafa and Clay and all that. So um, that those defensive skills are, I mean, basically second to none. But you know, if Carlos keeps on doing it, you know, we'll speak even even more about him and even ha more higher. And he's got the potential to do that. It's just important to stay injury free and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, maybe there's a combination, but it's also not fair to to say that because you know, Carlos is Carlos, like Novak is Novak and Rafa is Rafa and yeah, I don't like it when there is this too many comparisons. I like when they stand alone. The one and only Roger Federer, sounding very relaxed a year after his retirement. It's good to know that he wants to play some exhibition matches at some stage in the future, but it's also good to hear that his knee has made it easy for him to banish all thoughts of ever coming back, which, if nothing else, makes it easy for him to enjoy his retirement from being a player. And that business about getting in fitness equipment to his home. One of the big things about Federer is that he was never that keen on doing gym work. His fitness coach, Pierre Paganini, always had to make it fun for him. So that's a big deal to have Federer build his own mini gym at home. And isn't it fascinating to hear his views on Carlos Alcaraz? It's funny how one great of the game makes way and another immensely gifted personality who could well become a great steps up to fill the gap. Federer will be sorely missed at the upcoming tournament in Basel beginning this coming weekend, where he claimed a record 10 titles. But, as he pointed out, now is the time for others to make their own history. Stay tuned to the ATP podcast over the coming weeks as more players book their place at the year-end finals. And if you want to watch all the action, be sure to subscribe to Tennis TV. For updates, check out the ATP WTA Live Scores app. And for the latest news and video content, head to the ATP website. I'm Chris Bowers, thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis.